0: Gracious God above, we are thankful for the warmth you've given us, protection and the food. We ask, Lord, that we continue to have these things throughout the night, especially here across the states being hit by the winter storm. We pray, Lord, for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the denomination that we are part of God, that you sustain her and keep her faithful, Lord. And give her uh, men after your own heart, God, who are without guile, who... And firm upon your word. We thank you for the men we do have, Lord, and pray for their faithfulness to continue, that they would have understanding of the times and seasons which we find ourselves in. We would press back against the zeitgeist, the spirit of the age, Lord, and not swallow unthinkingly, God, uh, the many shibboleths, um, uh, basically, uh, things that, are, that should be believed in our society. If you're against that, you're somehow a crazy person. And that seeps into the churches, God, even the best of us. We pray that we fight against that, Lord, God, both in practice Doctrine for the committees, especially the standing committees of Christian education, uh, Lord, and home and foreign missions, uh, diaconic care, <clears throat> and other like committees, Lord, for the care of the church and members therein, uh, especially for the ministers, Lord, and the retirees. We pray, God, that we would have wisdom to carry on in the future, Lord, and we would have perseverance to do the right thing and continue to do the right these, Lord, to spread your gospel and establish churches. We thank you, Lord. Although we are small, we've done a number of uh, good deeds, Lord, and according to Your providence. I established in many churches over the years. We pray that with that would continue. <coughs> we ask for the work of the local presbytery that you would be with them. That they would be united into the truth and stand firm and re- reinforce and support one another, both as ministers as a presbytery as a whole, as well as churches within those Presbyterian church denomination, Lord. That we would do our duty before You. That You, you would give us the means that we need, Lord, and the provisions. To support our churches, to support the ministers, to help one another grow in Jesus Christ, we ask God for the work situation that we may find ourselves in. God, if we do not have enough work, or if we are overworked, Lord, that it would be. We be thankful for the jobs that we do have. God, give us wisdom for our work, that we would do it well as unto you, and that we would do it zealously as unto you as well, Lord. Especially the God that is hard to be sure for a couple of jobs that we have that we're not as interested in, Lord. May we do what we can and perhaps even get a new job if possible. We pray, God, for, especially for the poor, that you would be with them, both in spirit and uh, providentially through support as you have blessed our church, the poor and the needy in our midst for all these many decades, God. And we ask again, Lord, for the snow, the blizzard that we find ourselves in, we'd be safe and protected. Again, we thank you, God, uh, for the moisture that it brings, for we need that here in Colorado, not for granted the food in the water and the protection and the warmth that we have, Lord, but always to thank you. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Oh, you're kidding me. Uh, pray for our, our... My mentor, Dr. Thomas. They are without power. I saw that Thornton was down about a thousand people. Wow. I just... Yeah, we'll, we'll keep you updated. Um, no way I can get there, obviously. And uh, I know they have provisions. They have lots of blankets. It's an older house. They're an old couple. They're retired. Um, so keep them in prayer that it won't get worse and the power will come back on quickly uh, and that they would fix that. We're not Texas. I can understand why it happened in Texas. I'm serious, we're not Texas. I worked around transformers and electronics and things like that. Keep meet and checks weekly. Biweekly, weekly monthly, quarterly, yearly, all the big stuff. They're probably under man, I, I would suspect. I don't know what's going on. on. But prayerfully, they'll fix it, fix it quickly. <clears throat> Let us turn to the Word of God in Zechariah 8, 1 and following. Zechariah 8 and following. I have three points here, verses 1 through 17. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal. With great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus saith the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with a staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it, if it is marvelous in the eyes of this people, and those will also be marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of Hosts. Thus saith the Lord of Hosts Behold, I will save my people from the land of, of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Thus saith the Lord of Hosts Let your hands be strong, you and the foundation laid for the house of the Lord of Hosts, that the temple might be built for before these days there were no wages for man or any hire for beasts there was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in for I set all men everyone against his neighbor but now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days says the Lord of hosts for the seed shall be prosperous the vine shall give its fruit the ground shall give her increase and the heavens shall give their due I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these and it shall come just as you were a curse among the nations O house of Judah and the house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. Speak, each man, the truth, to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. You do not love a false oath. For all these things I hate, says the Lord. Let us pray. With these passages, and these many words of encouragement, may we see the encouragement here, God, not just the warning of the sins of their forefathers, but all throughout, Lord, you tell them how zealous you are, how much you love them, and how you will bless them, God. And we know, of course, it was certainly a material blessing, for they did indeed rebuild the temple by your prophecy, and thus we see again uh, the power of God in history, but also a foretaste of the future God of heaven, indeed, in which we blessings forevermore through Christ Jesus Lord. Amen. And this is an interesting prophecy here. Often again, we hear prophecies and we think of how bad things are happening. If something's wrong, if a prophet comes into the town, <laughs> everyone better run and hide behind the doors. Here, good things are prophesied of God's people. Verses one through eight, we read a future prophecy, and then verses nine through fifteen of the future goodwill of God, and then the last two verses, the future good works called and commanded of God's people. And inter, uh, interjected throughout here, it would have had too many points for the sermon. He says, "Thus saith the Lord." Verse 3, and again, thus says the Lord, verse 4, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, and again in verse 14, this is after the first came saying, and that was said before, then the word of the Lord to Zechariah, verse 8, and then it says it again in verse 19, thus says the Lord of hosts, into a new section uh, that we have, number of visions until chapter 9, so the first part here, verses one through eight, the future prosperity promised of God's people and God's great zeal. Thus says the Lord of Hosts: I am zealous, resigned with great zeal, with great fervor. I am zealous for her. God has zeal for you. Do you ever think about that? God has zeal for you. He is zealous for His people, for His church. We are God's, and He is ours. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And thus, he is eager and desirous to do good for us. That's why I named the sermon, God's Goodwill to You. He only mentions it here in the beginning of the zeal. Uh, here. But this idea of zeal is the idea of God's jealousy for his people, his great desire for their well-being, for your redemption. And he hates all those who would harm us and touch the apple of his eye. He is a jealous God like the husband is jealous. Yes, sometimes we get those confused. Desiring that which is not ours. And jealousy uh, often it's an undue desire for what is already ours. For God, there is no undue desire. And thus it could be translated at times as zealous, which rhymes with jealous. <laughs> <clears throat> and this is a good thing. Now, we know God is not like man who has emotions that come to and fro Uh, But this is the language he uses to describe his love, zeal, and his commitment to us. We must remember that in his dark day and age in which we find ourselves in, we sometimes feel like he has left us. But he has not. He's made it very clear. He is zealous, desirous for us with great zeal. Not just a passing zeal, so it's emphatic here. Overabundance for his people. A fierce loyalty and protectiveness. That's the picture here. Exodus 20, verse 5 false gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's the protectiveness that he has. And the fierce loyalty he demands of us because he gives to us. Now you know, of course, the kind of zeal you would have if your spouse cheated on you. That's the picture. It's not like, well, God's a we're not trying to pick on people. No. They are wedded to Him. And then they break the covenant. God's zeal, just like you would have zeal, a righteous indignation towards your spouse for breaking the covenant. That's negative way of dis- describing the zeal that God has. Here is the positive way. So that's what He's doing with respect to punishment. On the positive side, of course, is His loyalty and protectiveness, His zeal to love us and therefore to forgive and forget, to shower His with blessings and that's what we see in these verses and he unpacks this opening of course it's not that physical place but what it represents which is the people of God the dwelling God verse 3 thus says the Lord I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth the mountain post the holy mountain because wherever God is there is holiness and separation from the world Dwelling God is to have a God who dwells with us to be in his good graces, is the picture here. Not as though God has got a corporal body one place at a time. This is a metaphor to emphasize that he wasn't there in a good sense because Jerusalem was fallen. But he was with his people in captivity, as it were, and now he's coming back with them and establishing them and coming before them, in fact, as a conquering king to reestablish the outward form of the kingdom and to encourage them that He is a God who dwells with them and dwells in the midst of Christ. Christ dwells with us and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. For we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, are we not? And so this metaphor, this beautiful picture of God's zeal is such that He dwells with them, He's not ashamed of them, He does not cast them out, but He covers their sin. He is with them as a positive presence, as a blessing to them, just as much as we have the Holy Spirit even today. And the prosperity that comes from being with God, or God being with us, rather, and how he initiates as we see here. This is all God initiating this. That's what grace is. It starts with God and ends with God. And he dwells with his people, and he's there. Now, again, not just literally in the city, but wherever his people are, he's the center of Israel, and therefore he's is the center of the lives of God. The blessings that flow from that are established here in verses 4 through 8 and punctuated elsewhere. We read of Uh, The prophecies here, the prosperity, verses 4 through 8. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets, having warfare going on. Ruby gangs and warfare and destruction and fear. No, they're playing in the streets because it's a good time. And the aged are there, and they're even older. It says they have staffs in their hands because they're really old. They become really old because they're not dying in warfare or starvation. There's so much plenitude that the life that they have is now longer life. And there is peace. Everywhere. That's the picture here. And returning to Jerusalem, thus says the Lord of hosts Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and the west and bring them back. And they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Jerusalem was a prophecy and it occurred here as we read in Zechariah and elsewhere of the minor prophets and it actually happened. And of course, again, the picture of Jerusalem used in the language of Jerusalem isn't as though all million or however many that were dispersed at the time were coming to Jerusalem, but that the center of authority, of worship, and of rule of kingdom will be established therefore the kingdom itself is established from one end to the other in safety and peace. Once the capital, the rest of the nation's back. The opposite of once you sack the capital, the whole nation goes under, right? So he restores the center of their country as a social entity, as a political entity, and as a religious entity, especially. And it was fulfilled here, and in fact, they're about halfway through the temple at this time, we guesstimate. But ultimately in the New Testament era, as you recall in chapter two of Zechariah, in chapter two of Zechariah, "Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst, then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Going are brought." So this prophecy is not exclusive of chapter 2. It's the same prophet and the going coming that is the Gentiles for us today. So this is fulfilled then to be sure, but it's a shadow and a type. Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem finds its completion in the new heavens and new earth ultimately. <clears throat> that language, this covenantal language in verse 8, they shall be my people and I will be their God. You've heard that before, haven't you? It's reiterated over and over again in the Bible and here to emphasize God's covenantal faithfulness to his people. This covenantal language is the language of goodwill and desire and zeal for you and for me and dedication. It's used, in fact, in the New Testament, you may forget. Second Corinthians 6.16 And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. There's God says, I'm going to dwell with them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There you go. Paul was saying, that language of the Old Testament covenant was never exclusively for biological Jews. at the time. It was always for the Jews, and we are the spiritual Jews as well. We believe in Christ who has already come. And God is our God, and we are his people. Praise be to his name. This is, should be an encouragement. Although we are not brought into a foreign nation, although it kind of sometimes feels that way. We've lost our nation. Especially the older people know the difference between now and the 50s and 60s even. God says, I'm with you. It doesn't matter where you are in the world or what nation or what difficulty yourself in. I am your God, you are my people and I am zealous for you. Because he is faithful to the covenant. He applies that covenant language to us as we saw in Second Corinthians and elsewhere in the Bible. Verses nine to fifteen, the future goodwill of God. Already to talk to be strong. You who have been hearing the words of the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts, that the temple might be built. You heard about the prophecy, you heard about the language of the temple, and you're working in the temple, I have prophesied the building of the temple, and indeed it will be built. You need to be strong and courageous. You need not be weak. Let your hands be strong. Stand up firm straight roll up your sleeves get to work do not be afraid hands be strong that is to be unwavering in the work of the temple productive and effectual in their work while building the temple and rebuilding their country don't give up on the temple i know you heard the mouth of the prophets Speaking of the foundation of the Lord, of the temple, it's not done yet. It seems like it's going to take forever. You may even remember, uh, before these days, verse 10, there was no wages for men, nor higher beasts. In other words, there was difficulty and troubles. The enemies were everywhere, and every man was against his neighbor. I'm telling you, I'm not going to repeat that, because I have zeal for you. You can persevere, and you can rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the country. They did, as we know. And support many different ways to be productive, to work, to provide for God's kingdom and for God's family. We're called to do the same thing. We don't have to rebuild the temple, praise God. We don't have priests anymore. That's wonderful. But our hands should be weak. We should make our hands strong in this day and age of difficulty for the church of God, for our particular. We can to help that church to be strong, to be helpful to one another, to be an outlet of feeding of the gospel, of feeding of the law of God, of feeding each other even physically, and when we have needs and the like. So support, as you can, in little ways, God's church and God's kingdom. Our presbytery and the Orthodox Church and other churches of like faith and practice, that they would do the right thing, and they would make their hands strong. And don't live in the past. That's what he says here in verses 10 and 11. But now I will not treat the remnants of this people as the former days, as your forefathers, their sins are not your sins, God says. Get to that? Their sins are not our sins. We wish we had more of that in some circles when they push everyone else's sins from 150 upon us. <coughs> Verse 12, we read uh, in particular future blessings. First, the vine shall give us fruit. The ground shall give her increase. The heavens shall give their dew. i would show you a picture outside. You see plenty of very heavy dew, snow, <coughs> crystallized dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. God says, "I will bless you. I will bless you materially," and He did bless them materially. The seed shall be prosperous; the vine shall give its fruit. These material blessings have always been part of the core part. They came and went. They were used by God as an incentive. Often, hey, God. He didn't have to do that. Don't forget, God didn't have to tell them, "Look, you obey me; I'll bless you." He could have said, Obey me. And sometimes we know he does say, Obey me. You're in the covenant, you ought to obey me. But he's a loving God, he's an understanding God, and he says, I'll give you an incentive. It's a basal incentive to be sure Well, Aren't they holy and godly? Sure, aren't you holy and godly? And you still struggle. So don't always think we're always better in many ways in the Old Testament, although we have certain... So- Some of these things are still there. These kind of blessings are there in the New Testament. We forget there are physical blessings. I don't have this in my notes, but... Remember Ephesians, children, obey your parents and all the things. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. He means the physical land. He means the earth. He means their physical lives are longer, not their spiritual lives are longer. He's saying. Therefore, you're you're gonna I'm gonna save your soul. No, it's physical. There are physical blessings, and sometimes you don't get it. Sometimes you're very obedient, and you don't get long life. That's God's decision. But nevertheless, he uses it, even in the New Covenant era. And this is why um, we had rejected at the uh, General Assembly many, many years ago uh, this kind of confused thinking uh, that radical colonians had pushed. And what's interesting here, he says again at the end, plus, right? Kind of a symmetrical approach to things where God is saying, you were were cursed, you you were punished the ultimate curse you can cast off, God it's the same word though they're just punished God says that punishment going to be, I'm, going to, I'm going to compensate for that because I'm a loving God I'm a God who's zealous for you do not fear let your hands be wrong don't give up on the work the task before you you're doing God's work rebuilding this temple rebuilding this land and again for us today we are doing God's work wherever we may be in our callings and vocations of life especially when we support the church of the living God so do not be timid, do not give up on doing God's will, even in the midst of trials, for it is a trial to imagine trying a city emperor that's been broken down by war, and you have roving bands of people. Verses 14 and 15 For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me, so and I would not relent. So again in these days I am determined to do good. So you have that symmetry there again. I'm determined to do some bad, or that is punish you. Which had an ultimate good in it, their repentance. Then here are am to do immediate good. For you. I am determined, he says. I am determined to do good. What back then? Because somehow they're special Jews and they've done better than we have, right? They're more godly or more holy. What did God tell you in Israel back in Deuteronomy? I didn't pick you because you're more numerous than the other nations. Which is to say, an ancient Near Eastern way of thinking. All the pagan nations, if you are blessed by the gods and there's many of you, you must have been very special because you're very fertile special about you. There's so many of you. No, God nothing special about you. You're a small, squaring little country, but I chose you anyways. That's his point. Therefore, with this, this text isn't how special they were. God's even warning them to stop sinning. He warns them in the future. He knows they're sinners. And yet, because he's zealous for them, for God's people, we are God's people, and therefore he is zealous for us. He's determined, purpose, and has planned to do good, and only good for eternity. All of the prophecies show God's good of course, but ultimately spiritually of their soul. And remember, their building of the temple was a spiritual act of worship. He's determined to do good for us today as well. In his time and in his way, through providence, especially special providence, as I preached on before, through his church, before his church, anywhere where God's people are throughout the world, uh, we are starting a Dutch church. God's care and... Uh, continuance of his church where he goes through segments of church history and gives some details to show us how God takes care of his people because he's what determined to do good for us even if it doesn't feel that way even if again you're trying to rebuild Denver (laughs) in the midst of a war and roving bands of people trying to kill you and it feels like God doesn't love me why are these roving bands of people here no we need to have this encouragement although the prophecy of course was specific before back then the sentiment is the same. God is determined to be zealous, as you read, to do good for us. In fact, we have Bibles. We have places of worship. We have a building and access to that building. And even now we have this place and we have the internet, so that we can participate, although from afar, in the same act. We have churches that care for us and church leaders that care for us and the promise of Christ's return. That is God saying, and showing by the actions of providence and the things he's given us, I'm determined to do good for you. And therefore, do not fear. He says it again, right? Verse 15. Do not fear. That's the problem. Fear is a real thing. The wrong kind of fear, the paralyzing fear. Trials come and go, but we're reminded here God is zealous. God has a zealous determination to put the two together, right? Things shall be upon us. 16 to 17, the third point. Future good works. Future good works. These are the things you shall do. A blessing you are bringing back to the land doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Remember the covenant. This is what you ought to do. Speak each man truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in his heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath for all these things that I hate says the Lord. And now we're back to what we saw prior. Right? It said in chapter 7, justice, show mercy. Do not oppress the widow or the alien. Let no and here is saying basically the same thing, but slightly really different words, the same sentiment. It talks about neighbor. It's a different word, the same idea, though. Uh, again, a brother of those close to you. God's blessings. This reminds us, before we go in a little bit of detail here, and I'll finish up. God's blessings should draw obedience out of us. He blessed them, and He says, This is what I want from you obedience. And we ought to give it to Him most thankfully, most gratefully. Totally refuse to follow the sins of their fathers and our fathers. Truth in particular, we read, he had seen speak truth to his neighbor. Do not love a false oath, right? Uh, there again at the end, for these things that I hate, says the Lord. Lying apparently was a common problem. So you can see the sins that they're being dealt with when God highlights certain things you've got to do because he's missing large parts of the Ten Commandments here. He's only honing in on rebuilding the temple. Lying's going on and it's causing problems. Again, probably the rich. Do not allow the false oath. Speak the truth. Or you're going to have a low trust society, is the language of sociology today. We're in a low trust society today where there's lots of lying going on, where people bear a false witness publicly all the time. They have, in fact, themselves a common heritage of religion, and we have a common heritage of religion, but it's being uprooted again through lies and the like, and it affects the church. It comes into the church, and the church starts mouthing the things of society. And they start mouthing lies sometimes, even if it's not. We need to fight against that, and that's lie to one another, speak the truth to one another. The context here is what? Speak the truth to Babylonians? No, where are they? They're in Jerusalem. They're in the land of promise. It's not something, it's to each other in the church, or in the kingdom of God, here in the Old Testament. In the church, speaking the truth to one another, church and not loving a falsehood, uh, but not thinking evil in our hearts. In the church. Of course you shouldn't do it outside the church either, but especially in the church. And we've got to do what we can to maintain peace and purity. Give judgment in your gates, in the truth for justice and for peace. Activities happen in the gates. Whatever the case is, the courts or heart matters. He says that's where it begins. If you're planning to lie, if you don't have truth and justice, it's because it began in the heart. And he says, fight against that. Don't give in to that. God hates it. God's hatred of sin is what we need to be reminded of at times. God hates sin. For all these things I hate, says the Lord of hosts. And we ought to therefore imitate our Heavenly Father and hate such sins. Let us meditate upon this prophecy, brothers and sisters, as a fulfillment in the New Testament, as it points to eternal truths of God's zeal for His people and how we are indeed His people and He is dwelling with us. He is zealous for us. He has good will. He's determined to do good for us. determined to bless us even in the midst of trials and tribulations. Let us pray. Lord God above, we find ourselves, some of us lost electricity and power, God, and that's certainly a trial. May they remember that you are determined to do good for them. And indeed you have done good and you will do good. In your name alone we pray. Amen.